beguiled again a simpering whimpering child again bewitched bothered and bewildered am I couldn't And wouldn't sleep Then love came and told me I shouldn't sleep Bewitched, bothered And bewildered Am I? Lost my heart But what of it? He is cold, I agree He can laugh, but I love it Although the laugh's on me I'll sing to him Each spring to him And long for the day when I cling to him Bewitched, bothered and bewildered Am I? You'll sing to him spring to him And long For the day when I cling to him Bewitched, bothered and bewildered Am I? Hello and welcome to the Strange Boot Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Doris Day, bewitched, bothered and bewildered because I've got David Gedge famously off the wedding present here and he's got a new autobiography but in comic form, Go Out and Get Em Boy and uh, there's a list of songs to play while you read that book and we'll be uh, playing those songs including Doris Day to talk about many of the stories from this fantastic autobiography. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great. It's, it's such a, a humorous and uh, well-written and, and vivid depiction of uh, your life. And I do love the way that it's set in the present at times, but then it, there's this kind of flashback in the book. Yeah, that's the way it kind of evolved, really. I mean, thank you for the for the praise, first of all. I should say we spent a long time over it, so I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you like it. <laughs> but yeah, it, like a lot of the uh, stories are, are kind of based on conversations that I've had with Terry, who's the kind of co- the main co-writer. So she'd be saying, "Oh, what did you you know when you did this? How did that happen?" And I'll just chat away, and then so we thought that was the obvious way of, of doing it in the comic as well, you know, with us like asking why something happened, and then it kind of flashes back to the to the story. It just seemed the obvious uh, 
yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a, you know, long conversation, isn't it, in a way? Mm. And the book goes all the way back to your parents' meeting, and and I think it, there was a, this, there's a great picture in front of the audience in Leeds, the the cinema there, and. Um, if I'm right, um, bewitched, bothered and bewildered, you were listening to that when uh, your brother was introduced to you just after his birth? I can't guarantee that to be 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's always a song that I loved, actually, as a kid. Yeah. You know, Doris Day in general, she's my she's my favourite uh, female singer, I think. So, yeah, it's always, it always been there as one of the, as one of the kind of uh, things that you know, I wanted to use at some point in some way. And obviously we did when we did uh, our own song, Bewitched. You were born in the Leeds area and then as a toddler, you moved over to the Manchester area. Yeah, when I was about three, I think. There's a great story in there, which is uh, about cheese gravy that your, yeah. <laughs> your grandparents made. It was one of, one of the funny moments for me in that, sort of, that, those things that you remember as a child. Yeah, it's funny because uh, it never struck me as as being humorous really until I put it in the in the book. And every, every, you know, people do say that's a, a funny bit. And uh, to me, it was just kind of you know, she used to make this thing which was basically melted cheese, called it cheese gravy, and they used to love it. So it's kind of more of a surprise that no one else has it really. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully we've struck a balance between. I don't want it to be you know completely serious. So it's obviously you know, it's, it's a comic after all. So so we do focus on some of the kind of lighter moments, I suppose. And the next track we've got is Isaac Hayes, uh, the theme from Shaft. Again, I think this the, the song in, in in the book is kind of playing when you uh, come back to England, but this would this was after you'd, you'd spent a year in South Africa as a child. Yes, yeah, it was uh, we went to South Africa when I was I think I was ten or something, and then we came back when I was eleven. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what I did to be honest with you with a lot of the music is is when uh, we were writing the stories, I was looking at the period mm. that uh, you know they were set in. And then I'd, I'd look at which songs were around, which had a reference to the wedding present. And the theme from Shaft, which was, I think it was a hit in 1971 or something. But also it was one of the songs we covered when we did our Hit Parade series of Seven Inches in uh, 1992. So I thought, you know, that's an, that's an obvious one because it, it was obviously played at that time. And uh, it has a reference to something that came later, really. And such an iconic song. How, how did oh, you? Yeah. Um, amazing song, amazing track. How did you tr- try and live up to sort of Isaac Hayes' original, or did you just try and just do it, do it as best you could in, in terms of your version? Well, to be honest, because when we did the hit parade, uh, there was obviously a cover on each of the twelve B sides of the single, so so there's quite a few. Yeah. And when we when we first started, we were kind of like doing favourite songs, favourite groups. And we were doing them faithfully, I think, possibly a bit too faithfully to the originals. And then I think we got kind of tired of that and we thought, well, you know, let's do stuff which is a bit more surprising and a bit kind of, you know, what shouldn't for, you know, white males from, from Yorkshire <laughs> <laughs> uh, attempt to play. And, and, and the theme from Shaft was, you know, I'd always loved the piece of music anyway. It was one of my favourite tracks, as I say. But uh, so we just thought we'd kind of reinvent it. And, and I think that was one of the turning points where we thought, you know, we have to do something radically different. And uh, that was an obvious one, really.
that private dick that's a sex machine to all the cheeks. You're damn right. Next, we have the Sex Pistols and Anarchy in the UK. But while that was uh, starting to dent the charts over here, you were having your first live performance, if you want to call it that, in Landudno with your brother. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't brother. It was actually Peter, who was oh, the well, okay. uh, who was who was the wedding present guitarist. Because I because right. I met him at school. I've known him since I was about uh, I don't know ten or something, eleven or something. Yeah. Yeah, when we came back from South Africa, actually, because I went to 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 live in uh, a part of Manchester, and and that's the, he was there, and he became the wedding present guitarist. But but we used to do stuff all the time as kids, you know, musically, and one of those was, uh, as you say, my first ever <laughs> appear, live appearance was was at a talent show in Glandidno uh, in uh, in Wales, because we uh, I was on holiday there, and he was on holiday with his girlfriend's parents, I think just you know half an hour away so it was it was a nice it was a nice coincidence and we just said oh let's enter this uh talent show and we did the blowing in the wind by bob dylan and we uh we got past the first round but we we didn't we actually got to the final but then it was rained off so we didn't so it was a bit of an ignominious start really and around this uh sort of period you had your only other proper job if you want to call it that working in a sausage factory yes my dad was a, a butcher by trade for, for years and years, and he used to work in this, uh, like a, I suppose it was a cooked meats factory in, in Manchester, <laughs> and he got me a job on the, uh, yeah, labour in there on the, in the during the summer holidays, and it was, uh, I remember because it was 1976, the first time I went there, and it was historically one of the hottest <laughs> summers on record, so it was a, it wasn't a great place to be when you're, you know, you're, you're on your long holiday from school and everything, and then uh, you're in this factory sweating like a pig, you know. But uh, character building, probably. Right. Now. 
Now we have the Wedding Presents version of I Found That Essence Rare, very well-known, pivotal uh, song by the, the Gang of Four. And I think in, in, in the book there's a bit of a, a moment where you were Primavera Festival and kind of watching the, the Gang of Four from distance. I think I think this time you were on a, the roof of a building. There was, there was no balcony or something. Yeah, that was just the story, really, that uh, it was a bit dangerous because... <laughs> He just kind of walked across this ledge, and it was a quite a drop down there. But uh, yeah, we watched. Uh, we well, we heard the gang before. We couldn't see them from the where we were, but we went, went down afterwards. But uh, the reason why I specifically kind of mentioned that is because the wedding present covered the gang of that song. Yeah, I think we did it on a Janice Long session, or a, I don't think it was a Peel session. But uh, and then we obviously released it. I think we released it on one of the B sides of our singles as well. It was a, the gang of four were very popular within the group and very influential to us, I think. Mm-hmm. Another Leeds band as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I spoke to Andy, obviously, before. He's, he's, he's sadly sadly passed. Um, what a loss and, and such a, um, a a pivotal figure in, in the shape of, of indie music. Totally, yeah. I mean, that, certainly that uh, the first LP was groundbreaking, I think, because it, it's one of those records where... I don't really hear it these days, you know. You hear something, you think, I've not actually heard something like this before. You know the way, yeah. you know, the guitar sounded and the, the way it was played and stuff. And it was, it was, uh, it kind of took you to a different place, really. Whereas now, I don't think we, you know, you don't kind of hear that so much. You don't hear something genuinely as innovative as that. No, I mean, listening to that, it feels like almost twenty years ahead of its time. Mm, totally, yeah, certainly.
And another great band from the, the late 70s, early 80s, and um, the, the Chameleons and, and this song being Second Skin, but um, your relationship with the band members of the Chameleons goes, goes back to school, doesn't it? Again, yeah, it was uh, around the same time that I met Peter, who became the wedding present guitarist. Mm. I met uh, Dave Fielding, who was actually became, went on to be the, uh, the Chameleons guitarist. I also knew Mark as well, and the singer and yeah. Red, the other guitarist. So yeah, we were all at school together. It, it sounds a bit odd, really, but <laughs> like I've made it up. But we were all spent the uh, our early teens basically, kind of at school with each other, and then we went on to be in these different groups. So uh, the Chameleons were obviously a big influence on me as a. I mean, they were a bit before us, you know, because I went I went off to uh, university in Leeds. Uh, Back to Leeds for university, like a good boy, you know. <laughs> Whereas they went off and uh, formed a band, and, and a year later they were doing a session for John Peel and all the rest of it, and signing to Epic Records, which I was very jealous about. So they were inspiring you know, to me that if they could do it, I could do it as well, really, I suppose. Yeah, so they, they gave you a bit of impetus that you think, well, maybe I could do a bit of that. Well, I think I'd always had this drive, mm. you know, to do this, but I think they prove that, you, that it's possible, really, because I always. It's almost like, you know, it's a dream, isn't it? You're going to be in a rock band and you're going to make a living out of traveling the world and playing music. And it it seems like a great ambition, but you kind of think, well, yeah, you know, meanwhile, I do my degree and, and, and get a job and stuff. And when they did it, I, I, it kind of made sense and thought, well, yeah, you know, why not? Why can't we do it as well? And that's when it, I think we focused on, you know, the practicalities of actually making a record and uh, and being a proper group, really.
and a shift in sound here um, into Genesis and Dancing with the Moon Late Night. Yeah. One of the key songs from Selling England by the Pound there. As a teenager, you were like many teens at that time in, into your prog rock. I was, yes. It was just, it's kind of just before punk really came mm. along because I, I suppose I grew up listening to the radio, so I was a fan of pop music. And then yeah. I remember kind of the early 70s, mid 70s, it was glam rock and, you know, Slade and Wizard and all those bands. And I loved all that stuff. Mm. But then I think as you get a bit older, you, you, you kind of look for something a, a bit more interesting, don't you? And I think a, a bit more cool, if you like, even mm. though I guess, you know, progressive rock really isn't that cool anymore. But uh, yeah, I, I think it was Dave, like, actually, actually, again, Dave Fielding from the Chameleons, I think he, he introduced me to uh, a lot of those bands like Genesis and Yes. And uh, and uh, yeah, I loved it for a few years until punk came along and, and I, I preferred that really. <laughs> Although I still like Genesis, you know, I've got a soft spot yeah. for them, but I'm not sure if it's still, if it's more kind of nostalgia rather than the quality of the music particularly. I think that, early Peter Gabriel period. At times there was that melodic core that was still there rather than it just going off a little bit too much at times. Yeah, I think they were amazing, weren't they, from the, the, the inception up until he left, really. And then even then after, afterwards, they weren't, they weren't terrible. But, yeah, in the 80s, I think it got a bit... Uh, yeah, I don't know what the word is, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlistenable. Can you tell me where my country lies? Said the uniform to his true love's eyes. It lies with me, cried the queen of maybe. For her merchandise, he traded in his prize. Paper late, cried a voice in the crowd. The note he left was signed Old Father Thames It seems he's drowned Selling England by the pound Citizens of hope and glory Time goes by It's the time of your life Easy now
Now we've got the Pixies and Gigantic and um, 
I think you say in, in, in your autobiography that, that this is one of the best songs about falling in love ever written. Mm, yeah. Well, I've always been a big fan of, of love songs. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I've, I've, yeah. You know, most of my, my, most of my yeah. lyrics are basically about falling in love or falling out of love or jealousy. And uh, and people often ask me, you know, what's my favourite love song? And I, and I think I think that one, it, it's a perfect record. I mean, I think obviously it's helped by the fact that it's a Steve Albini uh, production, engineering job, if you like. And uh, I think that really helps it but uh such a great song such a you know the pixies were and are such a great band and uh yeah i think it, it's uh i can't fault that record really mm. was that that why you ended up working with steve or was it did you know steve prior to when he worked with the pixies no uh i mean i did uh, i think we saw big black uh with the, the, the band that he was in at Leeds Poly, but I'm I'm not sure. I think that might have been after he did Surfer Rosa. I can't remember to be honest, but, but Surfer Rosa was certainly the main idea behind us wanting to work with him because because we did George Best and we did Bizarro. Mm. I think both those records sound okay, but they never really sounded like uh, the wedding present I knew from from concerts and from rehearsal rooms and from you know just hearing the band live. Really, I think we had a more of a three dimensional sound. And I think it, it wasn't particularly reflected on those records. And, and uh, I wasn't sure why until I heard Surfer Rosa by the Pixies. And I just felt that this record had, had a lot more depth to it. It was natural sounding on one hand, but at the same time, uh, it kind of enhanced you know, the, uh, the songs and the arrangements. So I obviously kind of recognized that as, a, as an amazing piece of work. And, uh, yeah, we discussed it as a band and said, you know, he would be great for the wedding present. And, you know, he was, to be honest. I think he, he, he did, you know, with Sea Monsters, which was the LP that came after Bizarro, which he did. I think you can hear it does sound bigger. It sounds more three-dimensional and more like the band that I knew, really. I mean, he is known as being able to very quickly get the best out of bands or, or artists very quickly. Was it, is it a quick process working with Steve? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, with Bizarro... I think we spent about six weeks doing it, yeah. and uh, that included all the mixing and stuff. And we thought that was a reasonable time for a, a record on a on a major label. Mm-hmm. But when we met him and we told him, he said, "No, that's ridiculous." <laughs> you know, he, he said the Beatles can make you know the, the Beatles made records in a weekend, yeah. and we were like, "Yeah, but you know, we're not the Beatles." <laughs> but uh, I think in the end, we you know we booked two weeks 14 days and even then he was kind of moaning about it so, no, it would have to be done by and he, and he was perfectly correct you know i think uh it, it's kind of by and large all played live so we spent a bit of time getting the sounds ready but that's his forte really because he's yeah. he's great at, at getting the sound of a band you know he knows it's all boring stuff really it's all technical stuff it's all kind of which microphone to use where how to place it you know all that, you know, EQ and compression, all that kind of stuff. But he's very quick at it. So, you know, the band's up and running in a matter of hours, really, which you know, wasn't like that with, with the previous record, for instance. Uh, and then it was a case of playing it live. So if you think about, you know, an hour's music you know, with a few retakes, it, it doesn't take that long to, you know, to record that, really. So, yeah, it was all done very quickly and I think finished in 12 days. But even that, we were, you know, we remixed one of the songs because we thought we could do it a bit better. And, uh, you know, we had a, an enemy journalist, Andrew Collins, came over and we took a bit of time out for that. So it was, it was quite a leisurely 12 days, really. It wasn't, you know, there was no stress or anything. And, 
but in a way when we started the wedding present that's how we used to record because we had no money so we'd go in the studio and bang Mm. it out really quickly in in like a day or two days because that's that's all we could afford and so uh, just because we suddenly had a budget there's no reason why we had to stretch it out like that you know like like we'd done with uh, Bizarro for instance and I think working with Steve reminded us of that really and and, and the record it doesn't sound any worse for that. It, in some ways, it sounds mm. better because you've got that that tension and the liveness, and it's like doing a PL session or something. You know, you had that kind yeah. of uh, vibe to it, if you like. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a great experience. His teeth as white as snow What a gas it was to see him Walk her every day into a shady place With her lips she said
And there's that theme of relationships in your mu- music and the next song being Gene Pitney, 24 Hours from Tulsa. In a way, this is kind of a bit of a, is a relationship song with a twist. And um, I think you said in, in your autobiography that this song in particular made you cry as a child. Yeah, because well, I loved the record and I, I'd never really understood it. I was only, I was only you know, I, can't, I don't know what year it came out, 60s yeah. at some point, wasn't it? So I was a kid, but uh, then my, my uh, grandmother explained the lyrics to me. Which I don't know if you know that you know the listeners might not know the the song, but it's uh, it's heartbreaking. It's about a, a fella who's you know leaving his wife and uh, all the rest of it, and uh, yeah, it's just he explained that. And it, it, as a kid, I found that really sad, and uh, it, it probably did influence me really because it, it's one of those moments where you know where you you, know, you can sense that uh, a simple thing like a pop lyric, you know, can bring about you know a physiological change in you in you in your being really. You know, it's. Uh, it's it's a great tune as well. It's a great mm. it's a great tune. It's a, it's a great vocal on it, and I think uh, it all adds to the kind of the heartbreak of of the of the story, really. Dearest, darling, I had to write to say that I won't be home anymore. Cause something happened to me. While I was driving home and I'm not the same anymore Oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa Only a day away from your arms I saw a welcoming light and stopped to rest for the night And that is when I saw her as I pulled in outside of the small was there, and so I walked up to her, asked where I could get something to eat, and she showed me where, oh, I was only 24 hours from Tulsa, only one day away from your heart, she took me to the cafe, I asked her if she would stay. Go home again. 
talking about heartbreak, next we have Cinerama's version of Yesterday Once More, um, originally by the, the Carpenters. And I recall in the book that you've kind of revisited the Carpenters in a way in that you've been not, not as fond of them at the time, but now you recognise the sadness that, that's there. Yeah, I found I found that very strange, really, because because uh, in the seventies, I think my mum used to. Well, I don't think I know my mum used to love the Carpenters. She used to play them all the time at home, and this would this would be about you know nineteen seventy six, nineteen seventy seven, I think, just at the time when I was getting into the Clash and you know uh, Wire and people like that, and, and so the Carpenters just just sounded like. You know the devil to me, the Antichrist. It was it was all everything that we that you know didn't like in music because it was very M O R and very <clears throat> you know that lush pop music production. And so I just kind of rejected it out of hand. And I never really I was aware of it, but I just hated it. But then fast forward a couple of decades and you can you hear it again and think, well, actually, and you do realise the genius in in it because again, fantastic songwriting. And she had a gorgeous voice, obviously, that goes without saying. But also the production, it was interesting because it, you know, that blandness that, that I used to think about it, it kind of worked later on for me in some way. It kind of, you know, the, you know, the softness and the kind of, uh, as I say, the lushness of it. It seemed like a like an interesting setting. And, and again, it, it does bring out that kind of melancholy, doesn't it, I think? It does. And um, Cinerama, a project that enabled you to get more of that lusher sound into your music? Yeah. Well, I think after we'd been in the wedding present, or I'd been in the wedding present for about, well, getting on for 20 years, really. Mm. And we'd always been a primarily a guitar band. You know, we'd had experimented with different, we did an LP called Watusi, where we used a lot more in, in terms of like keyboards and things like that. But uh, I always felt a well, not restricted, you know, by you know the the format of the group because I you know I love guitar music; it's my favourite kind of music. Mm. But then I just felt like it would be good to go somewhere else and, and do something completely different, really. So I, I kind of started Cinerama as a little side project uh, just to explore a different type of music, and it was, uh, yeah, like you say, kind of lush, you know, orchestration. So I used strings and orchestral brass and things like that, and also. Uh, a kind of more of a pop feel and I think the Carpenters probably did influence some of that actually Just like a long lost friend, 
I'd memorize each word Those old melodies still sound so good to me As they melt the years away Every shell and theme in the book is a, a, re- a reoccurring character if you want to say that is john peel mm. we, we now have teenage kicks which was his favorite track of all time but um there's a number of uh, stories about you you meeting uh john and one one of the most interesting one was where where he drove drove you home and popped in for a, a cuppa yeah well yeah we went me and keith the bass player in the wedding was and we went to because uh, he because we lived in leeds <clears throat> obviously at the time and he did a one of his his discos in Ilkley, which is uh, fifteen miles away from Leeds, twenty miles, whatever. So so we went there, yeah. and we, I don't know, we were just stupid. We just didn't think about how we were getting back. You know, we didn't check if there was a late bus or a you know, there's no trains anymore there or anything. So so, so we went to it, and then we you know we I'd already met him previously because we you know, we'd given him a, a demo tape or two uh, over the over the preceding couple of years mm. from the wedding present of my. A previous group uh, mitosis and so he kind of recognized me and uh he said how are you getting home and i said uh, to be honest with you <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't really thought about that and he said well yeah i'll give you a lift and i knew he was going back to to shipley i think which was well out of his way because that's where his his wife's uh yeah. parents lived and, and they were staying with them that night so i said no nah, that don't worry about it you know it's miles out of here. he said no no i insist i insist so he uh yeah, he drove us home. He drove drove me and Keith all the way back to Leeds, and we invited him in. We had a cup of tea, and it was one of those surreal moments. You know, my girlfriend at the time could not believe the fact that we walked in the door <laughs> with John Peel. You know, that was the way he was in a way. You, you know, he was one of the most famous people, yeah, ever. You know, in in, in the history mm. of uh, broadcasting. I think he's on you know the list of the top British people of all time or whatever. Mm. But at the same, but uh, you know, the, at the same time, he was a, a genuinely humble nice person you know that you could just have a chat to as uh there was no kind of pretension of mm. of fame or anything he was just uh completely down to earth so that was uh and i loved that you know i loved that about the I, mean, I loved the music of the john peel programs but i also loved the, his approachability and the way he used to talk and everything he was i thought he was uh and obviously you know the wedding present 
kind of were aimed, <laughs> formed almost to, to, to be a, a John Peel band, really, because we wanted to, to, to record sessions for the programme, etc., etc. Like you say, the, the history of the wedding present and John Peel, especially in those early years that you know, the book uh, features, is really entwined. so vivid is the book this there's some great stories about you living off potatoes and drawings of a uh, Hyde Park in Leeds of which I was a, a former resident very, very close to I think where you were used to stay right <laughs> <laughs> so it brought me, me uh, back memories of, of having no money in Hyde Park um so <laughs> people can get more information on on your website was it scoppy tones yeah. scoppy tones or you, or you can just it's... People don't know what that word means sometimes, so I just say the wedding present. It's the weddingpresent.co.uk. There's a website. It's all the same website. And then there's a. I think one of the news stories is about the about the book. And so, David, we've got our final track, and it'd be good to play a, a new release from the wedding present. And I think you've you've had something out to go with record store day. Don't ask me. Do you want to tell me about that one? Yeah, it was. Uh... Obviously, in the days when we used to play live, <laughs> it was a, it was a new song that we were we put into the sets, kind of at the end of 2019, really. Uh, yeah, awesome 2019, and then we did a, a session for Sean Keaveney at Six Music, and so we decided to play that as a new song, and then we yeah we just released it as a as a seven inch, the three tracks from that session actually, and it came out for the record store day, Drop Two, as I think it's called. 
So it's uh, in a weird way, you know, unplanned, and uh, because it's been such a strange year, it's kind of a new wedding present single, really, even though it was recorded live in session for a, for a radio station. So a bit of an odd one. Given the, the weird situation we're in, uh, what other activities are you, are you doing at the minute? Well, to be honest with you, you know, it's not. I was going to say it's come. You know, the pandemic's come at a fortunate time, but it's probably not the right, <laughs> probably not the right mm. word to use. But mm. uh, we have been playing like you know since Going Going came out, which was the last LP, which is about yeah. I don't know four years ago now or something. Uh, we have been doing a lot of playing live. We've because uh, we because we tour more around the world now. Uh, you know, we mm. you know in the past mm. we we used to play in Europe and North America, and that was kind of it. But uh, recently we've been over to Asia. We've done two Asian tours. We've been to Australia and New Zealand uh, three times. And we did feel like 2020 should be a year where we stopped touring for a bit because it needed a break, really. And uh, so we did always plan it for it to be quiet. And, and in the end, we only organized about half a dozen concerts for this year, which obviously have all been moved to uh, mm. or cancelled or postponed to next year. So it was always going to be a quiet year for us. And so... Yeah, I've been doing other stuff. We've been, you know, working on this uh, biography. To be honest with you, it's taken a, a lot of time. I think I've done more. I spent more time on this book than I have on <laughs> on some LPs that I've made because it's, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm not an editor. So yeah. when we do something, it comes back, and we, yeah, you know, I want to make it better, so I want to change it, and then we proofread it, and we, oh wait a minute, that, you know. That's, you know, it gets edited and edited again and stuff. So it has been quite a laborious process. So I spent a lot of time on that. But plus we've been writing some new songs and also just general kind of admin, you know, stuff that uh, like our mm. YouTube channel. We uh, we started a YouTube channel yeah. in 2014 and that's the last time I looked at it, to be honest with you. It was just, it's just been there for all these years, languishing with uh, a load of out of date stuff on it. So we decided to update that and kind of revamp that a little bit. So we've just been doing things like that, really, you know, stuff that, uh, mm. you know, outside of the live kind of touring aspect, there's, a, there's always plenty of things to do. It sounds like, um, subject to any sort of restrictions, that um, everything you'll be very well placed next year to to tour, and you'll have all the website and the new music potentially coming on stream, etc. Yeah, and I think that's probably the same for a lot of bands, to be honest, because I think they've all probably had this period to kind of reflect and and reassess and stuff. It's just a case of when will it end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In the next concert we've got planned uh, for March. It's the 30th anniversary of uh, Sea Monsters, uh, funnily enough, yeah. Tom's Bar, really. And we, so we've, we've got like a series of little mini gigs through the year for that. And the first ones are in March. And I'm kind of thinking now it's, it's probably too soon, isn't it? You know, it's, it's only six months away. I think it's going to be back to normal. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? So we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Fingers crossed. Uh, well, it's been so good to talk to you, David, and I, I really enjoyed uh, Go Out and Get and Boy. The, I think it's the first volume in your new autobiography. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> maybe more, oh, hopefully. Yeah, there's definitely more because we, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we write them all the time, really. So we just yeah, we just put these first ones from, from the, you know, the first era, really, up to the forming of the band, I suppose it is, isn't it? And then it seemed like a good place to stop, really. Fantastic. Uh, well, let's play Don't Ask Me, the new single by The Wedding Present. And uh, I'll just uh, thank you again, David, and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks all a right, lot. Cheers. Right, See you. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.